You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Okay, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast, episode 15 we're on. Um, I'm Cameron Crane, the executive ed- editor for TV of- tvobsessive.com. Uh, and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor for the site. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing great. Good uh, good day here where I am. Ready to get into some really fun things today. Um, I noticed you've got a little, little arts on your shirt there, if you want to take care of that before we get started. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Poor arts. Poor um, arts. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Lost. We've... Um, Decided here that uh, for the next couple months, I guess, uh, we're going to run through standout episodes uh, that each of us choose. We're going to go back and forth. Um, we're each choosing four. So we're, we're, go ahead and call it the Mount Rushmore. We're each choosing Mount Rushmore. If you want to choose. I don't know. Right. I mean, if I seem to be resisting, part of me just feels like it puts too much pressure on it. <laughs> I mean, we're etching it in stone for all time that these are our favorite episodes, right? That's that's what I'm doing. Is that what you're planning to do? Right. Yeah. Like, um, well, I, I can't. The thing is, I can't help myself because I'm. I find myself also thinking, well, how's this going to go on the podcast? Are we going to have enough to talk <laughs> about? I, I, I'm like thinking about all these practical matters, and I'm not just thinking about these are the four best episodes ever. <laughs> so I guess I'm saying that to everyone. I have already decided to let everyone know. I know that Ryan has not seen Twin Peaks. I'm not going to make him watch part eight of Twin Peaks, The Return, without context. I thought about it. (laughs) I thought about it. But just to note that that while that might be in my pantheon of greatest episodes ever, um, we're not going to do that one. I've already decided we're not going to do that Oh, man. Okay, well, you, you would have had some fun with that i would have been completely lost i'm sure but we'll we'll go with what you want i mean if you want to do it we can do it i just um uh, i mean i'm just i'm just saying i'm I'm up for the challenge when we when we get to there you can you know guide it guide some sort of blind and 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 lame person through the through the through the story if you're willing to do it i mean well okay i'll i'll think about it to let everyone know, I haven't actually picked all four of mine yet. Um, I, I did pick uh, the one that we're going to do uh, next week, which we'll hold off. We'll, we'll let you know what that is at the end of the podcast. Uh, this week, we're going to do um, Lost. This is Ryan's choice. And he has cheated and chose an episode yeah. that actually has three parts. But I guess that counts as one episode, I suppose. Fine. So this is the season one finale of Lost, which is ex- called Exodus. And it is um, three parts, um, and so we rewatched that. I rewatched that the other day. And yep. knows we both seen all of Lost before, uh, so yeah. I mean, I guess people should be aware that not only are there going to be spoilers for, you know, season one of Lost, but potentially the the entirety of Lost. We've both seen the whole thing, um, so that's the plan for the. Uh, latter part of, of the pod today. Uh, first, as always, we're going to talk about some industry news and, and notes, perhaps chat a bit about what we've been watching lately in a spoiler-free sort of way. Um, so I guess we can get into that. It's September 26th. What's in the news, Ryan? Well, we finally have some, some fantastic long-awaited news. We got notice, I guess, Sunday night that the executive committee of the Writers Guild has come to an agreement with the AMPTP. They have yet to uh, to ratify this and vote on it as of the time we're recording this here on Tuesday afternoon. But all indications are this this agreement has is going to go through and things will be able to start moving, at least in terms of a writing perspective. So now I guess we have to see what the details end up being for this and how quickly the Screen Actors Guild can get back to the table. Right. Yeah. So um, they, there are no details have been really given in, in terms of what the um, I guess it's still it's still technically tentative because the um, members of the guild have to ratify it. Yes. Right. So 
maybe we won't get to all the details until after that. And it sounds like that might take up to a couple of weeks. And right now they're saying to the writers, you know, that they aren't allowed to go back to work yet. The strike's still technically not over until it's ratified. But um, also, I mean, it'd be shocking if they didn't ratify it. The message yeah. from the negotiating committee was like, we got a good deal. And if you go back and look at their message to the writers in 2008, their message was something, I read this, and their message was something like, well, you might be a little unhappy, but we did our best, you know? <laughs> Whereas with this one, their message really was like, this is a historic deal that serves all members, you know? And it's so... Yeah, I, I found it funny. You, you know, this whole stuff came out Saturday night of the AMPTP had said, we have given them our best and final offer, right? Just sort of classic negotiating one-on-one, doing it out in public where normally when that happens, you think, okay, well, they're just trying to to push some movement here and that's not really their best and final offer. But maybe this is the rare outlier where it was a tremendous offer that had not been put in front of them before because it spurred some movement to agreement on Sunday. And and the, as you said, this, the strike is technically not over, but they have been told to stop picketing yeah, they're, they're not picketing. I mean, they might be picketing in solidarity with SAG after it, but they're not picketing yes. on uh, be- on the behalf of the WGA. Right. I still don't know about that best and final offer business. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that that helped personally. It's it, it and and the rhetoric of it just so, felt so weird because it seemed like yeah. the reaction I saw overwhelmingly on social media from writers and people in solidarity with writers was like a middle finger. Like, what do you mean your best and final <laughs> offer? So I don't know why. I did, it's, it's just, Part of me feels like there have been a number of things where the AMPTP just feels kind of out of touch or maladapted to the the era we're actually living in. Yeah. You know, and I wonder how it'll go with the actors. Now, the actors have also, I guess, recently, very, very recently authorized the strike against video game manufacturers. So we'll see. Uh, this would be, you know, for voice actors in video games. And well, mm. I guess also maybe they're like this. I don't know. Um, I don't know those details, but I, I saw that. That's pretty recent. But anyway, looks like the writer's strike is coming to an end. Drew Barrymore's show is going to come back on the air. Okay. Will, Bill Maher, I'm sure, is champing at the bit. Uh, <laughs> Dancing with the Stars. And this is funny. We, we mentioned that, I think, last week. And then I read yeah. after that. It was actually a WGA show. They were going to pick at that show. That's exactly right. And so, they did, I think, for, for a couple of days. Um, yeah, maybe, but it has hasn't actually premiered yet. This exactly. Premiered, exactly. So maybe yeah. They were they were picking the rehearsals. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which I didn't realize. I think we we mentioned it and then later I saw, oh wait, they had, I don't know, uh, they employ writers. I guess they employ writers who are in the WGA or at least one. I don't I don't know exactly yeah. um, what they do, but and we, we we sort of cynically wondered if Barrymore and Moore and all these people who had talk shows that agreed to stay on hiatus were doing this because they were getting a signal that things were about to be over. But you know, we'll, we'll just give everybody the benefit of the doubt at this point. Yeah, we don't know. And I mean, if they yeah. did get that kind of signal, I guess fine. You know, like yeah. overall, I'm I'm kind of I'm not really fine with them saying they were going to bring their shows back, but. I'm I'm ultimately personally pretty fine with them saying, oh, in light of the um, pushback, we're not going to do it. And whatever the details were, you know, if it was someone whispering in their ears, we're close, please hold out, you know, yeah. um, or if it was everyone on the internet hates you, Drew Barrymore, and she's legitimately crying, whatever it was, they, they ultimately pulled it back. But now, you know, now sort of, no problem. Now, of course, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. That does still mean that they um, can't promote struck work and all of that. And we'll see, you know, um, there really hasn't been negotiating that's going on, I think, since they went on yeah. strike in July. Um, does the agreement with the WGA provide a workable framework? Of course, the actors have some issues that are specific to them, particularly some of the stuff about like 
can you scan background actors and AI generate their likeness in perpetuity mm. and things like that? At least that sticks out in my mind um, as a, like an important sticking point potentially um, besides the money of all of it. So we'll see. But man, I, I do hope that they I hope that that moves quickly and we can sort of get back on track. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. We've gotten some signals that a WGA agreement would spark further, more intense negotiations for SAG and sort of some quicker movement. We'll see, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, we have no idea. We have no idea more than anyone listening. So, yeah. uh, another front related to the industry stuff. Did you see this, that uh, Amazon is is uh, saying they're going to put ads on Prime Video next year? Yeah, and so this is a different context than their is it that they have freebie right so that this yeah. is a different situation than, than than that that channel i guess right the deal with freebie freebie is what they call fast mm-hmm. service you know and um that that is free ad supported television i think that's what fast stands for anyway that's right it's it's or, or streaming whatever um but yeah so it's very it's very odd to me that they're gonna be like well no prime you know, it's like a premium service, also going to have ads now. Um, they're kind of promising that they won't be too long or something. I don't know. I don't yeah. like this. If you pay $3 more a month, you can get an ad-free version, I guess, is what they're mm-hmm. saying. I don't know. Yeah, you, you, I, you, you buy the premium TV version, plus do Prime to get free shipping from all your stuff, plus do Prime Music, then you'll get... You know, I, I don't know. This is just a, more m- more of a ploy for them to, to get you to to buy into every aspect of their you know their consumer product. So, yeah, th- this is I mean mildly disappointing. We, we've seen Netflix and others come out with these similar messages, but this was sort of some some finality. It looks like it's coming coming fairly soon. Yeah, what worries me about it personally, as someone who um, cut the proverbial cord in 2010. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I am so spoiled. I cannot watch commercials. Like, I'm sitting there trying to watch Monday Night Football and the commercials <laughs> come on and, like, I stop paying attention and I forget to start paying attention again when the game comes back on. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm either going to pay Prime $3 more a month or <laughs> I'm going to cancel it. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, I, I will say, so, you know, I wrote about this and we've talked about it a little bit. The show Jury Duty came out earlier this year. That was a freebie. Uh, that was a freebie exclusive television show. And while I loved it, it it was very distracting because you had these unavoidable, you know, can't fast forward it, you know, right in the middle, two and a half minute long uh, Amazon ads that popped up for whatever it was that they were, you know, that, that they're promoting that you know just took me out of it and i just was not as you said not accustomed to that with my my streaming these days yeah i'm totally spoiled and and i'm worried here's what's worried worries me because potentially i will just pony up the money like i do i I pay for ad free hulu for example yeah but um i I don't know if it'll be good enough i'm I'm afraid there's going to be a slow creep back to everything having ads you know because there was a time when cable television came out as i understand right. it when we were very very young <laughs> when i understand it at first they were like well but it's cable it's a subscription service surely people will not put up with advertisements right I mean, I mean, let's try it you know? <laughs> <laughs> people did the only, my only hope is pinned on the fact that they disrupted things enough with people you know like me perhaps like you or were we're spoiled now we uh, don't want to go back to having our viewing experience interrupted um with commercials and we'll see, but I'm I'm a little yeah. disappointed that that they're gonna throw some ads on um, on Amazon Prime. Yeah, eventually every one of them will do this. They'll all say for only a few bucks you can get the ad free version. Um, I'll just further make a dent in our our pocketbooks that were once meant to you know yeah. to save us save us money when we cut the cord, but just doesn't do that anymore. I wonder because I I feel like at this point Apple TV Plus might be the only one not doing this. Agreed. Yeah. And they're a weird outlier in the industry because they're like a little side gig for Apple. Exactly. You know? 
So I wonder, and I think their price is still pretty low too. It's the lowest um, amongst all the streamers right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if, if Apple is sitting over there going like, we won't do this, you know, <laughs> like, just, just cause, you know, we just want to keep our, our thing, you know, anyhow, speaking of streaming, I'm going to you, Moonlighting yeah. is coming to Hulu next month on October 10th, I guess, which, uh, I mean, so you, you were telling me what, did you watch a show at all when you were kids? I mean, do you have memories of the show at least? Well, I, I watched it because it was something that my mom had to watch every week, right? So that's how that's my exposure to this this show. And I had to confirm with you, this is the Bruce Willis Civil Shepherd. They're what private investigators or something that have sort of this this love hate relationship. Do I am, am I right on any of these details? Um, yeah. Dude, I don't remember very well. <laughs> this is something literally. This was on. We were children. I it thought you were a moonlighting easy. scholar. Well, I guess not. No, but the thing is, it's hasn't been available to stream anywhere ever. Yeah. Um, there have been all kinds of things about the rights, and often this is hung up on the music. I don't know. People always know, right? That they, there are issues with the licensing of the music in some of these older TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh it's one of i mean this is like a very highly acclaimed show in the history of television and i will tell you there have been times over the years when i've thought you know what i should really watch moonlighting and then kind of (laughs) felt like oh well you can't (laughs) you know you can't i mean i'm sure you could find it somehow somewhere you know but easily watch it it's coming to hulu so We'll see. Definitely a critically acclaimed and historically significant show. I mean, I think Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard, well, I was about to say they were like the first will they won't pay, but I, that can't be right. I mean, I don't think it was their first role, but I, I I do know this for a fact. I've I've seen this several places. The only real thing I know about Moonlighting is after several people turned down the starring role in Die Hard, they turned their sights to Bruce Willis and everybody involved with the movie said, no way, we can't get the guy from Moonlighting to star in our action movie. They just nobody will buy it, right? Because this is a dramedy. This yeah. is Bruce Willis before he ever became an action star, precisely right. to the point of your anecdote. So I don't know. Check out Moonlighting. Probably be checking out Moonlighting. Hey, who knows? Three weeks from now, I might become not here going. Ryan, Moonlighting is great. What are we doing? <laughs> I look forward uh, to that day. Um, we mentioned the upcoming Nathan Fielder, Emma Stone project called The Curse. This is the HGTV parody thing back on a release date, I guess, uh, November 10th. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I plan to watch that. Yeah, I uh, think I'll, I'll check this out sort of in this um, little bit of a dead zone we're going to have in these next uh, these next six weeks or so. You know, so be before Fargo comes out, before several things comes out. So I, if it's... After um, Nathan Fielder's latest project, I think I'll certainly give this a, at least a, a glance or two to see <laughs> to see what it's like, particularly as uh, sure. someone who's who's tried to you know be a weekend warrior on some home stuff before. I'd love to see sort of where he's going with this. Yeah, for sure. We we talked about the rehearsal briefly on here, yeah. then, and I, I mean, yeah, I'm totally with you. Given what just happened with the rehearsal, <laughs> I have to see what this is. You know what I mean? Because like you could read the description. Yeah, and I still don't feel like it's telling me what it really is, you know. Yeah. Um, nor, nor, nor will he probably. Nor, nor will he. But well, I don't. Maybe you can't. You know. Yeah. It's. it's it, I guess it's scripted, but it's a weird parody of reality TV. <laughs> I, I. What are we doing? You know. Yeah, what, yeah. Like, what is the show? You know. Because, like, did you know what the rehearsal was before you watched it? Could you yeah. have known? Absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like, there was not. no way to know how <laughs> crazy that show was going to be, really. I know. Um, I know. Well, speaking of, of parodies of, of reality, um, you, know, you and I just spent seven weeks talking about Winning Time that finished up uh, you know, a week and a half or so ago. And there's a new Magic Johnson interview in Hollywood Reporter where he says he, quote, never watched winning time none of us watched it i guess he means his teammates because it was fictional you just can't tell that story but hey that's on them talking about the creators of of winning time so surprising to you we know that this has gotten some criticism from jerry west and other people we know that 
uh, Jeannie Buss and others had said, oh, this is a pretty accurate representation. Is it surprising that none of the Lakers ever watched this show? Um, I don't know if it's exactly surprising to me. Um, what I do want to say, with all due respect to the great Magic Johnson, this phrase, you can't <laughs> tell that story. <laughs> I do not respect. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. None of us watched it because you can't tell that story. How do you know? You yeah. didn't watch it. What defines a story that you can tell? That's what I'm curious about. You know what I mean? I, I don't. Um, I mean, I guess I get what he's saying here, but I just don't. Um, I think he was supportive of it at the beginning and then something turned him off. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I think that it's it's I think what he's really saying is that um, the sense that they got of what the show was doing. Yeah, they didn't appreciate. So they didn't really watch it. I'd, I'd love to hear from Jerry West again, because yep. he yep. has a sneaking suspicion that Jerry West stopped reeling against the show because he kept watching it and started thinking, yeah, maybe this is all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I'm totally speculating there. I don't know. Yeah. But I what I do know is that as a viewer of Winning Time, I I thought Jerry West's character was very sympathetic. Yep. I mean, he was ultimately really one of my favorite characters on the show, you know. And I think the thing that Jerry West was threatening to sue over was very early on where he's like trashing the office or whatever. Yeah. Um so I wonder. It's it's probably, I guess, either that or Jerry West instead thought, no, I do hate this show, <laughs> but railing against it's giving it more publicity. So I'm just going to stop, you know, because he couldn't have won yeah. a lawsuit. There's no chance exactly. he could have won a lawsuit. Exactly. I, I just think part of it has to be, particularly for Magic Johnson, sure. It, it, were there a lot of fictional aspects to what they represented? Absolutely. But you just can't tell that story again. I think this probably represented a time of his life and some moments in his life that he and his wife of so many years probably did not want to really re revisit. And sure, all that stuff is kind of out in the open, but to put it out there so publicly uh, for people to be able to watch probably represented things in not the most accurate way, but it's just something that they didn't want or they didn't care to have that part of the story told. Um, you know, so he's got he's got his opinions, sure, but to say that you can't tell the story. I, I mean, you're going to, I just, I just don't know what you do with a statement like that. No. Yeah. Again, it's just one of these, I didn't watch it because you can't tell that story. And I, I hate the prejudgment aspect of it. If he said, Hey, yeah, you know, I gave it a shot and they're totally misrepre misrepresenting me and what happened. And I hate that show. And it's, yep. you know, like I'd respect that more. But the idea exactly. that you've never watched it at all, um, I don't know, it's kind of a bummer. On the other hand, yeah. Jeannie Buss got into it, and you know, yeah, that, there's there's no way they're gonna make more of that show, is there? <laughs> no, I don't we're, think so. we're totally hopeless. We're like, I, I, I joked about it last week, but I seriously do fear that they are not only gonna not make more of the show, but that at some point they're gonna remove it from Max. That's what I'm afraid of. It can be like it's canceled or taking yeah. it down. We're gonna, you know, throw it in this uh, bin over here with raised by wolves. See you later. <laughs> I mean, you do think about a show like Westworld that had so many viewers and so much hype at the beginning, uh, relative to HBO, I, I should say, and then I mean, just fizzled out completely. And now, yeah, they've completely or are planning to remove that from its from their from their service. It wouldn't surprise if it fell in that bin. No, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did remove Westworld. This was like oh, nine months ago or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, but they haven't kicked anything fully to the void. I don't think it's gone to fast and stuff like that. But anyhow, uh, let's move forward. Uh, what what have you been watching? Yeah. Anything? Uh... Um, it's same old, same old for me. I've got two weeks left of Ahsoka, which I'm writing on for the site, which uh, which I will finish up two more episodes before switching over to the next Disney Plus uh, entry with with Loki, which I'll also uh, write on for TVobsessive.com. So um, finishing 
somewhat strong there. So that's been the positive thing after I think a shaky, shaky beginning. Um, still plowing through the second season of Welcome to Wrexham. And then part of the reason why I chose the episode we're doing today is because I'm in the middle of season five and my latest, I think it's my third, my third lost rewatch. So those are things taking up my time uh, right now. How about you? Awesome. Yeah. I mean, well, so I'm um, still writing on Invasion. I don't have much to say about that. Still writing on the Changeling week to week, which has grabbed me more. I told you I'd keep you posted on mm, this. Yes, I do want to know about this. Um, the, the, this most recent episode of the Changeling, um, it's, it's kind of got its hooks in me now. It took five episodes. But, <clears throat> you know, so it goes, I guess. And, and I'm kind of excited to see uh, how that wraps up. It's uh, eight episodes in that season, probably series. I think it's a going to be a mini series a- a- adapting the book, right? But one never knows. Yeah. They, sometimes when things do well, they say, "Hey, you know what? Wasn't actually a limited series." Let's, let's make <laughs> um, oh, another thing on my radar. Do you watch Doctor Who? You ever get into Doctor Who? So this is on my never seen list. I, I have to admit, yeah. I know this is what going on. This is like a 60th anniversary or something of that show coming up. Yeah, the, the 60th anniversary is coming up in November and they released a trailer the other day. Okay. And I won't say much more about it since you haven't, but maybe you've already encountered this. This is known. This can't be a spoiler. It's in the trailer, right? <laughs> that they're bringing David Tennant back. Um. Which I have is, enough familiarity with Doctor Who to understand what's going on and what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I honestly don't know exactly how I feel about this, but maybe I'll just leave it there, you know, because you, you haven't seen the previous story with Donna Noble. And now they're not. Reacting. I, I, have, I have not seen one second of Doctor Who in my, in my life. Hey, well, that might it might go on the list. The doctor so it might go on the list. It's it's it, there's one in 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 contention. There's one in contention for me right now. I, I have no doubt. I have I'm, no doubt. I'm just you know I I'm trying not to give you entirely things you haven't seen, but you know <laughs> three out of four might be. I'm I'm sorry. Um. All right then. Well, I guess we should okay. seg here, and we're going to get into Lost. Yeah. Um, again, this is the season one finale, episodes 23, 24, and 25, Exodus, part one, part two, part three. Um, I will say, in rewatching this, it went really fast. So yes. That, that, that's one thing that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's movie length, but it, it flies through these, yeah, flies these right three, three segments. But yeah. So, uh, as per usual, we'll take a little break here. Um, and... Uh, Big banner spoiler warning that on the other side of the break, all of Lost is on the table for potential potential spoilers, uh, in particular, the season one finale. But who yeah. knows what might happen? We might tell you how Lost ends. Um, <laughs> so, okay, we'll take, uh, you know, 10 seconds here and pick up with Lost on the other side. Okay, welcome back. We are going to dive into Lost Season 1, episode technically 23, although it could be called episode 23, 24, and 25, entitled Exodus. Three parts to this finale, to the first season of Lost that debuted in 2004. So once again, we'll discuss this this episode heavily and extensively but could deviate into spoilers for the entire series so we provide that warning one more time and i always provide that warning but with the sense that i tell people this is the one show i tell people if they have not seen that they must go see it this is my favorite show of all time why i chose an episode of this show to go first um in our back and forth here on our favorite TV episodes. So I'm looking forward to talking about it with you, um, Cameron. I'll give us a little synopsis here, and then we'll start uh, digging into some of the moments, some of the themes, and some of our history with with Lost. So in this episode, we have, of course, in the first season of Lost, been following the adventures of the 40 or so people that have crashed, um, that were on Oceanic Flight 8, 
15 and sort of the mysterious circumstances that are on this island, the other people or the other entities that might be on this island. And as we approach the finale, something um, interesting happens, which is uh, there is a crew of people trying to build a boat to seek some rescue. And there is another inhabitant of the islands named Danielle Rousseau, who's been there for 16 years. She shows up to our group of survivors and says that the others, this mysterious group of people on the island are coming. And so that what it does is prompts sort of three main storylines to, to go throughout this, this finale uh, trilogy of, of episodes. The first is Michael, Jen, Sawyer, um, and Walt uh, sort of speed up the process of building the raft so that they can get it launched so they can go out and look for rescue. And there are certainly dangerous and and mysterious things that happen as they're on the water. Uh, Jack, Locke, Kate, Hurley, and our friend Arts go in search of some dynamite on the black rock that Danielle, this inhabitant of the island, knows about so that they can blow open the, the door to the hatch to try to find safety from the others. And then Saeed, Charlie, Claire, Shannon, baby Aaron, and Vincent, the dog, uh, make their way out to the caves. But in the process of that, Rousseau steals Claire's baby um, as we find out she's going to hopefully make a trade with the others for her own child who was stolen 16 years ago. Saeed and Charlie go in pursuit, save Aaron, and reunite Claire with her baby. So that doesn't sort of ruin the end of any of these of the, these three stories. But uh, this was, again, powerful finale, powerful uh, storylines here, lots of emotion wrapped into this, particularly as we go back and forth between these stories and the flashbacks. Um, what's your history with with Lost Cameron? Do you watch it in real time? How, when did you come to see it? How many times have you watched it? Sort of what's your what's your background with this show? Um, okay, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, so first of all, I watched it in real time. I mean, not from the very beginning. I remember I rented a DVD set of the first season. <laughs> um, and then I think started watching um, subsequent seasons as they aired, or maybe it was a couple seasons were already out, and then I got on board. Watch anyway. By the time it ended, I was watching it in real time. Um, prior to prior to the final season, I rewatched all of the previous seasons. Um, and then in the week before the finale of the show i think i rewatched everything in the final season so i think what i'm trying to say is i think i watched it twice by the time it was over <laughs> like by the date of the finale um basically and then um was a bit disappointed with the finale at first like many were but i came around on it the more i thought about it and i rewatched the entire show in 2020 um i wrote an article on the site on season two um and uh, a couple of episodes like uh i uh, forget whatever happened happened i know i wrote on that london anyway mm -hmm. i came around to being fully on board and also i guess i think i think there is an article on the site that's like my retroactive coming to terms with uh the ending i see um, yeah so kind of a complex history but you know, in particular, rewatching the show a couple of years ago, and um, then also rewatching these episodes the other day, um, I've really, really fully come around to just wanting to say Lost is one of the greatest shows ever. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't like how it ends, I feel you to some degree, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but increasingly, I'm fine with it. <laughs> and you know, speak, I'm not to like constantly plug articles on the site too much, but there is one written by um, Hannah Searson um, that is about the sentimentality in Lost, and she argues that the sentimentality of Lost is the point. And I love that article; like that's the one that I'd actually want to point to pe people to at this point, in terms of forgiving Lost if you were unhappy yeah. with the ending because. Hannah's whole argument basically is loss is about the characters and what do you yeah. get in the finale is immense catharsis yeah on the character front you know yeah 
And so if you're if you have quibbles about the plot logic or whatever, increasingly I think that that's not entirely the point. But those are some yeah, my, broad thoughts. Anyway. My 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 experience is actually somewhat similar, actually very similar to that. Um in the fall of 2005 would have been before season two started um was living in houston at the time um and was married pre-kids um and this was when september of 2005 is when hurricane katrina hit um the gulf coast and this was um not something that ended up impacting houston in a great deal but this was sort of what became nationally known as sort of this great migration out of town that caused so much trouble. So many people um, got got stuck on the roads. People died in, in car fires. I mean, it was this horrific, horrific thing as everybody tried to leave town. Um, my wife and I, who live in the south part of town, drove 15 hours and made it 30 miles north um, to the north side of, of Houston. And we eventually decided we just couldn't go anymore. We, we weren't going to gonna, gonna going to try and evacuate any any farther we knew that my brother's wife's parents lived nearby so we pulled off the road headed to their house as did a group of friends that were sort of carpooling with us and somebody brought the dvds to season one of lost i've not seen it before so we spent sort of this hunkering down waiting for a hurricane to come watching the first season of this show and it was just the same thing that there were people that we shared it with. There was a catharsis happening in sort of our real lives that made us connect more to the characters being sort of driven through these episodes. And some of those same people became the people that we watched lost with every week from then until the, the finale. And it just became, yeah, this, this emotional connection, not only with the characters of the show, but the characters of people that we watched it with. And just has really has impacted me a lot since since then is my all-time favorite show um i was between this episode the pilot and through the looking glass for my favorite episodes of the series uh pick this one because of a number of emotional beats and things we'll talk about but yeah this is a show that makes you think not only about yourself and the people you're close to but also how you connect with these characters and what they mean so it just yeah it just has a lot of layers there i think that you and i both seem to have connected on yeah, absolutely. And it was one of my first experiences of having in the internet age so much conversation around the show week to week. And there was so much here to dig into and talk about. And I guess that's the thing. It, to some degree, we got caught up in, in the questions and mystery to such an extent. Yeah. Particularly in a rewatch, I found myself saying, man, the character drama is just so good. The flashback structure you're learning about these people and the, the the small the differences between how they are on the island and what you're seeing of them in the past here mm -hmm. in the beginning and then of course that shifts ultimately and and so on um we should move towards digging into this episode yeah. more specifically and instead of yeah about I, I just I, I i agree with you completely on on all of that well, one of the things about this episode that you know lost was known as a show that focused a lot you just said this on on flashbacks going back and looking at each character had an episode um, you go back and look at their lives pre-island and then after season three post-island um, and sort of who they were before, who they were after, things that they did. This finale hit everybody sort of in the moments before they get on the plane, before they get on Oceanic Flight 815. Did you find that it hit as hard or as um, it, it did as much work as sort of these singular character episodes or that, you know, just sort of seeing all of them together before this, this big moment happened that, um, I guess they're trying to accomplish different things, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess from a big picture view, I would say I prefer the, um, episodes that are focused on a single character, um, yeah. In terms of the flashbacks or flash forwards or flash sideways. <laughs> um, but it works, you know, and you can see what they're doing. They're kind of bringing it for full circle. Um, one of the things that's striking to me that I was thinking about as I watched these episodes again the other day is, is this is the end of season one. And, you know, we haven't met the others yet. 
and we yep. haven't met Desmond yet. Yep. And just wow. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like I didn't start from the beginning. I just jumped back in with this episode. So but still thinking about it, you know, Rousseau's talking about her daughter. We haven't met her yet. Right? Exactly. You know, and um it, it's really kind of interesting how they play with that structure. Also, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this is the first time we see Anna Lucia. Is that correct? Yeah. So th- this is a, a a great point that you're bringing up. This is the first time we've seen her. Obviously, in season two, we dive deep into the story of the Tailies and Anna Lucia, Mr. Echo, and all that crew that we meet for the first time. But this was, you know, one of those talking points, one of those sort of internet rumors that emerged of you know, Michelle Rodriguez is this known character or, or sort of is a, is a known actor. Why would they bring her here and position her as someone on the plane if it wasn't for a purpose coming soon? We see her in the airport bar and then clearly she becomes a, you know, a major point of the next the next season. So, yeah, I mean, just sort of this signaling that we know where we are going. You're going to have to stick with us to find the answers to all these to all these mysteries. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know how hung up on this we should get. I just want to put out there to the world. I am an Anna Lucia apologist. I am mm-hmm. a defender of Anna Lucia and also of Shannon. Mm. So just to, to, although Shannon's moments at the airport, not a yeah. good look. This is this is not a great not Shannon. A good look for not, Shannon. Not a good look. Yeah, not a great Shannon episode. Although you see the connection she has with Walt, with Vincent, um, the connection she makes with Claire when um when they're talking about Aaron. So there are some redeeming moments. I think that that was what a lot of what this episode is meant to do. This is not obviously the end of the series. What this episode is meant to do is show, look how far these people have come just in the few days from when they got on the plane to where they are now. Yeah. I think, I think that main, that contrast and you get that with Locke in particular, they have to carry him on the plane and he drops the little flyer thing that you read just because you're bored and he can't pick it back up again. (laughs) And the contrast with Locke on the island, who is, you know, badass in yeah. charge. And well, as Jack says to Kate towards the end, you know, we're gonna have a lock problem, which they sort of do, actually, yeah. ultimately, but um maybe we jump around a little bit, you know, since I mentioned yeah. that. Maybe let's go to that. That this man of science, man of faith line, you have that confrontation with with Locke and Jack. Um yep. One of the things that's always been really striking to me on this front is that although in the real world, I would probably identify more as a quote unquote man of science mm-hmm. in the context of this scene, totally with Locke. Somehow yeah. Locke's totally got me, you know, and um, I don't know. Is that the same for you or, or thoughts about that? Yeah. As, as I watch it many, many times and now in the third or fourth time that I've seen this episode i started thinking about not just which who's on what side but what's the context they're using to state their position and you think about what Locke says he literally says you know the island chose us it was our destiny do you really think this was an accident to see all that they've seen and come to this point how can jack still deny that there's something special about this you know that 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 sentence the island chose us is really foreshadowing what we'll learn in the last season about Yes, actually, these people were chosen for a reason to try to play a role, and they're trying to find who the per- yeah. right person is for that role. Um, but you, you're right. I mean, looking at the evidence, you know, which is maybe more of a man of science thing, I really fall on Locke's camp as he's trying to figure out what is the reason why we're why we're here. It's got to be more than just accident or coincidence. Yeah, but see, the thing is, actually, Locke. See, Locke has a bit of evidence that Jack does not have. Mm-hmm. Locke knows that he was confined to a wheelchair before this plane crash happened. Yep. You know, Locke has experienced something personally miraculous. And and I believe no one else knows that at this point. I think that's true. I think no one knows it. I've always tried to justify that with what does Jack or how does Jack reconcile what he's seeing with his dad, right? I think he mentions in an earlier episode of season one that he just must be sleep deprived or dehydrated. But he's saying he's seen his father now several times, who, as we know, you know, died in Australia and was was being transported back on the plane. You know, he's seeing some things, but it's not just this this purely 
personal miraculous thing that Locke has. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Jack's the kind of guy here, just write that off. I've softened a bit on Jack over the years, but he always had a way of rubbing me wrong a little bit. Yeah. Just so stubborn. Jack, not, not the best lost character. I'm, I am very happy to say you're very, um, not emotionally troubled to say he's, he is not the best lost character. He, he functions, you know what I mean? But any, but I mean, at the same time, you do grow to care for a lot of Jack, you know, mm-hmm. and that scene between him and Sawyer in this episode where Sawyer tells him that he saw Christian in a bar in Australia and all of that. It was a really, it was a really powerful scene. Um, I, I, I will, I will admit that scene is one of the reasons why I picked this, this episode um, to show in one scene, not just, for the acting chops of 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 these guys, but how far Sawyer has come in the X number of days they've been on on the island, right? That just this is not the Sawyer who was out for revenge trying to kill someone in Australia before they got on the plane. Yeah, I mean, but he's he still sort of is like he's a, <laughs> yeah he, he can be Walt once around the raft. He's like. You know, the only letter I wrote is the man I'm going to kill. And it's like, why are you going to kill him? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, so like, but yeah, the growth of Sawyer um, is great. That There were, let's see, I made a note of a couple other scenes too. I agree with you completely about that one. Oh, and then Sun and Jin. Sun gives uh, Jin the um, uh, little book to yeah. help him be able to say um, some English words. Um, and I don't know, man, I love, I love Sun and Jin so much overall in the show. Yeah. What about you? There are so many characters in this show that you either, well, I'll just say there's so many characters from the beginning that you just hate from the beginning. I mean, you really have a disdain towards Sawyer. You have a disdain towards Shannon, a disdain towards even Jen, right? He seems controlling and manipulative. Um, but more than any others, I think Sun and Jen are ones that you really come around on, particularly in the growth you see from Jen. You see, I, I saw pointed out one place that his flashback in this episode, Jen's flashback in this episode, is the most important because it does provide some context of why he is doing everything he can to protect Sun and keep her safe. That he feels like no matter where he goes, Mr. Pike's men are following him and can find him. And, you know, to have that interaction in the bathroom there before they get on the plane, that's why he's acting this way. He doesn't want to be that person. He feels like he has to be. Um, And and so I have some issues with how they handled, you know, their death later in the series and sort of of take, take some issue with some of that. But this, this episode of what they're doing with emotionally, how they feel like they're being punished um, just man, just hits you pretty hard. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. We don't want to get too off track in terms of now. Let's start griping about how they ended their story. <laughs> but I think I think we're on the same page there. But um, yeah, great stuff. Um, the Walt storyline. I don't know. Does this work for you? Because there are some indications that this was something that was stemmed from behind the scenes concerns. That they had to they had to write Walt off the show because yeah he, he was growing up too fast. You know, I think about that. I, I think about you know, obviously we, we've talked about this before. This uh, no pun intended expose that came out about the writers' room and Lost and some of the things that um, Harold Perrineau and some of the other actors were were concerned about during the the time. And yeah, I, I hate that there was sort of this Michael Walt story that they felt like that they had to end the, the Walt thing is, you know, you sort of paint yourself in a corner when you um, cast someone who's so young, but you're trying to keep things as such a, such a tight time frame in the show. Right. So there wasn't much they could, they could do there. I, I think if there's one thing I wish that could have been explored more and lost, it would have been Walt, who he is, who he can be, what he can contribute to this island and what the story was. But yeah, they just had to, you know, by basically by the end of season two, you know, we, we see him a couple more times over the next four seasons, but that's it. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's that's actually the disappointing thing. What it, what it, everything that occurs in this set of episodes we're talking about, yeah. I guess I think does work and is effective, yep. and that they're on the raft, and then um, you know, Mister Nice Guy or whatever his name, his name is something close to that. Do you remember that guy's name? Uh, um, friendly, Mister Friendly, Mister Friendly, yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it is uh, like we're gonna have to take the boy. And they they actually like play some of the kind of triumphant type music and then undercut it and punch you in the gut. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's all really effective. You're like, oh no, and you know that's that's kind of where they're leaving us at the end of season one. Although then there's the tag with that with the hatch still at yeah. the very end of the episode. Um, so I guess the disappointment with Walt is later that it that it really does just kind of fizzle away because this episode indicates oh Walt's really important important right the others yeah. are coming specifically for Walt and then it just kind of wafts away and they return to it in the um epilogue mm-hmm. where he's, he's playing connect four or whatever but they just never really bring it home in terms yeah. of Walt's significance and and yeah I do find that disappointing and I, I will say I, I I don't remember picking up this the first time that I watched it but you know there's so many of these holy crap moments in and in, in lost obviously friendly and his his people on the boat saying that they've come for the boy is one of them but I completely forgotten about Rousseau when Saeed and Charlie find her and take Aaron back when they're at the fire um, thinking that the others are coming that she says they were whispering that they were coming for the boy and on my very first time I watched that I, you know I, I missed what the context of that was but so that's not one of those holy crap moments when you realize wait a minute do they realize that they're not talking about Aaron that they're talking about the other boy and that there's nothing they can do is a wait and see if these guys survive and if they end up taking taking waltz you know just sort of the one of those things you missed on the first go or that i missed on the first go around yeah it's in there it's like a little clue um that they actually mean waltz and maybe yeah. it gets into your subconscious just enough even if you hadn't thought about it that you've got the foreboding as you, you reach that encounter out there on the raft and things start going sideways Maybe. I mean, it's it's very, very well written, all of yeah. that. Again, um, one thing I found myself thinking, and this is sort of retrospective, um, you've got the black smoke, mm. and they actually go there, right? And the others have lit a fire with black smoke. I'm not sure what they're burning. But the contrast between that and the other black smoke, the smoke monster, yeah, they're not the same thing. Right. They're yeah, they're absolutely not not the same thing. And I, we are led to believe, as I understand it, that yes, the others lit that fire. This was not a trap by Rousseau or a, a, a calling card from Rousseau to try to get them to show up or appear. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's two, two different things, two different meanings. Um, we get perhaps our, our most clear sense of this the smoke monster's intentions in this episode when it wraps up Locke and is going to take him down a hole before Kate throws the dynamite down there but um boy that that moment of understanding what it can do what it's what we see it do in later seasons I just saw this episode in season five where we flash back to the French crew and it wraps up one of the guys and rips his arm off um to see what that could have been and then for Locke to say you know, let me go. I want this to happen or I'm okay with this happening. Um, I just remember seeing that the first few times and, and thinking, man, I really need some answers to what, to what this is. Um, that, that almost was like the predominant mystery for a couple of seasons of what this thing is and why it exists. I mean, really all the way until the last season. Right? Yeah. And then that's probably one thing that some people are a little bit disappointed on you know yeah. when it comes down to the explanation of uh of the black smoke monster um i don't know if i'm included in that or not i'm yeah. i'm pretty okay with it i do think that the final season kind of takes a, a hard turn into 
I don't know, almost mysticism or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had to reconcile myself to that. I did not really love that the first time around. Um, But I've come to be okay with that. I just, I found myself thinking, why do they light the fire with the black smoke? Yeah, I I mean, it's a good question because you think, okay, it's signaling the others coming. Technically, I guess they came to a part of the group. They didn't come to the to part of the group on the island. They came to the part of the group in the water. Uh, but does this mean that you know we're doing this, signaling that we're going to be encroaching on you somehow? And they did, just not in the way that they thought they were. Yeah, but I mean, so it's like, is this a psychological tactic? You know, like we're going to let you know that we're coming, yeah, so that you freak out. Yeah, and, and getting you to freak out is part of what we want you to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess that does seem very Ben. Yeah, so that makes that makes sense. I'll, I'll, I'll buy. Fear leads uh, to confusion and chaos, and that's the best way to for them to, you know, do, to get what they want. Yeah, a couple other things here. I do want to. You mentioned arts, arts, mm. arts, arts. Um, this is that really. I guess I've always thought this was funny. But again, it landed for me quite well this time around where um, yeah. he is ranting about, he's he's ranting to Hurley about how um, our like heroes, as it were, are a clique <laughs> and the other people have rich inner lives and are, you know, unique sources of value also like him. And then really very shortly after that, you have the moment where um, he's uh, talking about how careful they need to be with the dynamite and he blows himself up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny. That's the thing. And, and it's like the fact that it's more funny than sad yeah. makes Arts's point that he was making and there's this real moment of meta awareness on the part of the writers here that they're <laughs> that they're playing with this guy i mean he's totally sympathetic i mean no problem with arts you know and yeah. and and you know although he's kind of ranting about high school kids he teaches whatever you know but but that i, I really like that moment i wanted to mention that that that, that stood out to me again um, you know, I, I had a little, maybe a slightly different read on on that conversation that Arts has with with Hurley. You know, we're still. This would have been in spring of two thousand five, in the very early stages of what we might today called call uh, prestige TV or serialized TV, where you had to really be in from the beginning to understand the building blocks that are being put together for this show, and sort of this idea of that are saying, well, we all, you know, aren't a part of your Barry man of adventurers. You know, some of us, you know, are human too and want to be included that just sort of this nod to people saying, well, how am I supposed to know what's going on here? If I haven't, you know, watched every minute and analyzed all this and read all the stuff online. And there's just sort of this sense of understanding that, yeah, there, you kind of have to be part of the click to be, to be able to watch this show. No, see, that's good. I think that's just another layer. Yeah. There's there's layers of, of of meta commentary going on here, and it's like it's a cool little scene. Um. So what else we got? We have the numbers. I don't know how much we want to talk about the numbers. Um, yeah, I mean it's you know I, the, the numbers have been analyzed and and written about and critiqued. You know to to the the fullest extent. I mean we we will get these numbers multiple times every season we'll get them right until the very end um they continue to be this this plague for for hurley he sees them when in in his dad builds them the car when they return um when they get off the island he, he sees them everywhere um but this was another one of these just sort of you have to be having a, a deep understanding of what we're doing here and what these numbers are. Um, and I just loved how they would draw on these extracurricular things and make their fans go dig out what they, you know, what they mean, Fibonacci sequences yeah. and all this stuff. Right. I mean, it's kind of great. Yeah. But they also write significantly. These are the numbers he won the lottery with. Yep. Right. So Hurley's freaking out when they see the numbers on the side of the hatch. He tries to get them to not, explode the dynamite because the numbers are bad um we ultimately in the final season get links between 
these numbers and the uh, and and characters. Oh, here's a question. I meant to look this up. Sorry. Off the top of your head, do you remember what number Kate is? Ooh. What number is Kate? I do not know. Uh, me, me neither. Anyway, I, it, it stood out to me when I was rewatching this. At one point, um, she like hears Hurley mum mumbling the numbers to himself, and the one that catches her attention is twenty three. And it, it made me think, like, man, was it? Does that link up? You know. Ooh. But um, well, that's the seat number that Jack had on the on the plane when he was talking to Anne Lucia. It was twenty three. So we have to. Yeah, so it refers to multiple people, and it was the amount of money. What Kate says in this scene is that it was the amount of money um, that the guy who turned her in um, got in a reward, $23,000. Yep. That's so, right. Anyway, That's right. this is what loss might do to us. Let's not go further <laughs> into the weeds. <laughs> Let um, me ask you two, two, two things before we completely get to the to the end here. Um, n n number one. Does what, what type of impact does loss, if it does have loss music, have on you? Right, Michael Giacchino just became unbelievably famous for this for this score to this show. I think I have this right. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that um, when they're boarding the plane, we see the flashbacks there. That's the first sort of prolonged what's called life and death theme that he wrote for the show. That we see in Charlie's death. We see another death in the series. Um, obviously you, you talk about sort of this crescendo, the buildup for when they launch the raft. Um, like the music in this show makes me really emotional. I wonder if I'm sort of on, on an Island quote unquote there, or, or, or if I, or if somebody else feels the same way. Oh, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, um, and I, and I would expect everyone to agree. Maybe they haven't thought about it, but, um, at least people who love loss, like we do. The show has motifs, mm, you know, mm -hmm. and and in the music, I mean, right? Um, and not all shows are like that, you know. But ultimately, these musical themes recur, you know, and they take on a meaning in and of themselves mm. as a, as a, as the series of notes that they are. So, I mean, on a first pass, the music good, you know. Yeah. But then beyond that, I think it gets imbued with this um, with a significance. Um, and and yeah, I think it's it's really well done. Um, yeah, that, that that's a great point. We also get the sort of adventure theme when they're hiking up to the Black Rock. You know, that that's sort of a theme, a motif throughout the show, the life and death, the just sort of lost score as they launch the raft. So you're right, they sort of connected these moments to this. To the score that just make it even that you you connect it from season to season and moment to moment makes it more powerful yeah and yet my favorite use of music is in the season two premiere and i could <laughs> not help but go and watch just that scene i finished this and was like well i got i got it yes next episode i gotta watch just that scene with the mama cast you know yep. that this is the, our, our introduction to desmond you never see his face you know he's doing dishes he's exercising um and and all of that i love that scene i love desmond also but no desmond in this episode they blow open the hatch in the end with them looking down and or we ultimately do kind of like look up at their faces and yes and that's the end of season one yeah yeah well so as we wrap this one up i wanted to give you a chance do you have a favorite lost episode um i would probably pick the constant I, okay. I, you know, I mean, I love Desmond. I think that's just a great episode of uh, television. Um, so probably that one, but there, there are a number of episodes that are um, are really, really good of this show. Even take yeah. them uh, on their own. Expose is probably you know like <laughs> number two on my list. No, it's not. Stop lying. <laughs> It's great, you know. You got the diamond, you got the whole thing. Deadly and, spiders, uh, yeah, spiders. Exactly it's, what it's, it's, everyone's <laughs> everyone's favorite, really, is, <laughs> is is probably that one. Although, I mean, look to be clear, I defend that too. This was the kind of the kind of thing that I end up doing. Like, um, 
I think that was one, you know, you, you eventually came to learn if you saw a character who was not part of your main cast for two episodes, you knew that they were about to die, right? <laughs> Arst, Froger, uh, Nico, Nick, Nikki and Paolo, you know, once you saw a character and they started having lines like, uh oh, something's going to happen to them. Yeah. Arts might have been sort of the beginning of that. I mean, you yeah. know, not for nothing, the first time you're watching this, you maybe are surprised that yeah. he dies and that this is that kind of show. Yep. You know? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, man, really good stuff. I enjoyed um, going back to this one with you. Anything else you wanted to hit on before we call it a day here? That's it. I'm curious what, what I need to prepare for for next week. Oh, right. So I left it as a surprise for our listeners at home. Um, so my first choice for my Mount Rushmore in competition with Ryan's Mount Rushmore, that's what we're doing here, right? Um, is season four, episode seven of Mad Men, The Suitcase. I am excited. I've told you my story with this. I am, I stopped at some point in season three of Mad Men, so I have not have complete context here. We're going to see if I can catch up or if I decide just to watch this as sort of as is and how I can wrap my head around it. But uh, you're going to yeah. have to, to guide me through it next time. I mean, I don't know. Again, it's it's, it's largely a standalone episode. I would, I would say it's entirely up to you. Yeah. You know, whether you want to watch those previous episodes in season four. Um, I don't know that you uh, have to, you know. So I was reading, um, where was it, Slate, I think, put out a list of, like, the best standalone TV episodes recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was on there. Oh, great. It's, okay. It's basically a standalone episode. I think you could you could watch it on its own. And to people listening to the podcast, if you've never seen Mad Men and you want to just pop in and watch this one episode, I think that could be an interesting experience. You do you. Regardless... That's what we're going to dig in on um, next week. I do hope that you'll join us. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Check out the website, tvobsessive.com. You can follow us on social media. Uh, you should be able to find TV Obsessive on whatever social media, except for threads. It's <laughs> not on threads, but it is on Instagram. Um, uh, you can find me at Cameron CC as long as you spell my name correctly. And Ryan at Cable Box Score on the service formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> um, you can find the pod on just about anywhere you listen to podcasts, I think. Please do consider liking, leaving us a good review. Also, we have a YouTube channel if you'd prefer to um, check these things out on YouTube, like and subscribe, and so on and so forth. And I think uh, I think that's the whole spiel there. That is. I really appreciate appreciate the conversation, Cameron, and uh, go make your own kind of music. I will. I will. See you next week, Ryan. All right. Take care.